We're just a little more than a week out from another Christmas day, and, and we're celebrating and rejoicing because we have the word of the prophets made certain. We know that Jesus is the reason for the season, not Santa Claus, right? We also know that a little more than a thousand years after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, God verbalized and gave vocabulary to his original intention by speaking through the prophet Isaiah the word Emmanuel, God with us for the very first time. That was followed by a hope-filled declaration to people walking in darkness and living in the land of the shadow of death for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We've been singing about him all morning. We also know the little more than 700 years after that, Mary gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. And now, 2,000 years later, we're still awaiting the final fulfillment of that word, Jesus' second advent. And we are closer to that day now than when we got up this morning. Having the word of the prophets made certain is one thing, paying attention to those words as to a light shining in the darkness, that's another thing. All of these names, as well as many others given throughout the Bible, are meant to be for us like a lighthouse for a ship at sea. The word of the prophets gives us a sure place we can fix our hearts and minds on as we go through the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs and the arounds that come with life on this fallen planet. The names of God are all constant reminders of who God is and how God is. And we can use God's names to call out to him in worship, in prayer, in times of victory, as well as in our times of need. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord is an unchanging place of refuge for us. How we demonstrate our right standing with him is determined by our choices to keep running to and into his name. Keep running to and into him day in, day out. In Joel 2.32, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And that calls on means everyone who invokes the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls out to him by name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when Joel originally said that, it meant will be caused to be released, rescued, or delivered. When Paul quoted Joel in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved meant everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be sozoed. They'll be saved, healed, delivered, preserved, and made whole. In the message, it keeps it simple. Everyone who calls, help God, gets help. And listen, sometimes when you don't know what else to pray, pray that one. It works every time. Help God. That's enough. That's enough. The Passion says everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be rescued and experience new life. All the names of God are open invitations into the experience of new life. All the names of God draw us towards the destiny we were all created to experience with new life in Christ. Even now, God's spirit within us beckons us to choose to respond to God, to call out to him and to receive his help so we can completely leave behind every bit of darkness and walk in the full light, blessing, and protection that comes with living in and living under God's mercy, grace, and love. And listen, 
even our poor behaviors and bad choices do not nullify God's established desire to be all of these things to us and for us. As we get started in Isaiah chapter 11, we find the people of Judah on the backside of a bunch of poor choices and bad behavior. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. For a variety of reasons, the last of which was the devastation brought upon them by the invading Assyrian army, the nation of Judah had been reduced to a place of obscurity and insignificance. To this very day, there are real consequences for poor behaviors and bad choices. But God, the opening invitation from God through the prophet Isaiah still exists. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. A shoot will come up from the stump. You know, according to the dictionary, a stump can refer to what's left of something after the main part or majority of it has been cut off or removed. What's left of something after the main part or majority of it has been cut off are removed. You know, our God still has an amazing way of making what looks to the natural eye like a dead, done deal into something new, living, and life-giving. Out of the remnants of destruction, God can still make a brand new start. Our God loves new beginnings. Chapter 10 of Isaiah ended with the description of the Lord Almighty lopping off, felling, and cutting down forests of trees, which represented nations, And it was a consequence for their misguided, prideful actions. And pride still comes before the fall. But that fall is not intended to be and doesn't have to be the end of the story. Proverbs 11, 2 says, when pride comes, and that word for pride means arrogance, which is what we'd normally think about it to mean. But that word for pride also means presumption which we don't oftentimes think about as pride, but it is. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And the Amplified, this kind of humility is seen in those who have renounced self and those who are modest. And I love this one. In the teachable who have been pruned and chiseled by trial. If or whenever we find ourselves in a stump place, we find that what we're left with, the main majority part's been cut off, and we find ourselves there. Repentance and humility are the best and fastest ways into a fresh new beginning. And listen to this. If, if we have someone who we love that's currently living in a stumped place, maybe life has been, they've just had the hard part of life coming at them, or maybe just inside of their own heart and mind, they've hardened their heart to the Lord. And so what could have been a big tree has now been cut down and there's just not that much there. If we find someone that we love that's living in a stump place, sometimes that person that we love that's living in a stump place is the one you're looking at in the mirror. Anyway, (laughs) keeping them covered and lifted up in our prayers matters. Because James 5.16 reminds us the earnest prayer of the righteous has great power and produces wonderful results. I heard a really cool testimony this week. 
There's a, a family, the, the wife and the son, both spirit-filled, love the Lord, on fire Christians. Uh, the father and the family, not so much. Uh, in, in fact, as, as, as years went on, got harder and harder and more resistant to the gospel, didn't want any part of it and all that kind of uh, stuff. And and, uh, and then developed dementia. Now it's got into some late stages some pretty uh, debilitating dementia. And he's been moved into a care center and his life is on a short clock. There's not many days left probably for him. They were visiting him in the care center and he was in his normal kind of confused state. And then all of a sudden he stopped and he looked up at him and it's like you could just see the clarity. It was just like he was there. He was there with them in that moment. And he said, I want you to know I've given my heart to Jesus. They said, who helped you? How did you do that? He said, we just worked it out. And then he was gone again, back into the fog and back in all of that. The next day, his daughter-in-law was visiting. Exact same thing happened in the fog. Then all of a sudden, a moment of clarity. I want you to know I've given my heart to Jesus. And then back into the fog again. Now, what I want to tell you about that is that family never stopped praying for that man. Even with his resistance and all that, they never stopped praying. And it's just a gift of the Lord. That could have just been a secret between him and God that they wouldn't have found out until they got to heaven. It's like, hey, you're here. But I'm telling you, that moment changes everything for this life and for the next. That moment radically changes that funeral. The hardest funerals in the world to do are when you don't know whether the person's given their life to Jesus or not. And listen, I'm going to tell you this morning, heaven and hell are real places. And no human is ever created to go spend eternity in hell. But if you don't give your life to Christ, if you don't surrender the control of your life to Christ and receive him into your life, that's where you're headed. That's where you're headed. God's heart is for no one to go there. And if that's where you're living this morning, I guarantee you there are people praying for you right now. People could be grandparents, could be moms, could be dads, could be siblings. There are people praying for you because nobody wants anybody to spend eternity in hell. But for this family, just a beautiful testimony that they kept praying. The, the, the dad, the husband, he was in a stumped place in the natural. And it got even worse with the dementia. But God got through that and found him and met him in that place. And now his eternity and their eternity is radically changed. Keep praying. Keep praying. It matters. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse was the grandson of Boaz, who we know about from the story in the book of Ruth. Jesse was also more famously the father of his youngest son, David, Israel's greatest king. When uh, Jesus came, he was often referred to in the Gospels as the son of David, which was a term connected to his royal glory. Here in Isaiah, the stump of Jesse referenced actually a humbler beginning. And studying into it, it also um, identified the presence of a remnant among the people of Judah. And this prophetic word, God was assuring the remnant that he still planned to use their tribe of Judah to bring forth the Messiah, as well as the new life and the glorious restoration that the Messiah would bring. But the timing with prophetic words is always the deal. As it would turn out, the royal authority of the house of David went dormant for over 600 years before the promised Messiah Jesus made his entrance on the planet. What I want to say about that with God is he's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Those that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who wait on him. He's in the waiting. Another thing I want to say is he keeps his promises. 
If he's made a promise, he will keep his promise, but his sense of timing is very different than ours much of the time. But the promise in his word is that he makes all things beautiful in their time. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is one of many messianic prophecies Jesus fulfilled. And so we now recognize it as another word of the prophets made certain. It's a prophetic picture of the Lord looking over a field of stumps and then causing a new green branch to grow up out of an apparently long dead stump. We know this branch was foretelling Jesus's arrival in ministry. And check this out. This Hebrew word for branch is the root word of both Nazareth and Nazarene. I'm telling you, our God is into the details. He doesn't miss a thing. So many clues, so many clues. When Jesus began his ministry, he talked about a branch will bear fruit as a vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And from the work and effect of Christ in us, each of us now has the opportunity to become fruitful branches. A footnote in the Passion Translation said, Jesus Christ branches out through his people as they grow from his root. And then it says, overcomers are the branches that bring forth the fruit of Christ's life. I'm looking at a room full of overcomers right here. Let's keep bringing forth the fruit of Christ's life in our lives. Look at verse two. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. A branch that would come from an apparently dead stump wouldn't be just barely alive. It would be full of life and full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And that word rest means to settle down and stay there. To settle down and stay there. When Mary conceived Jesus in her womb, she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And then at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And those gathered there that day heard a voice from heaven declare, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus lived with the manifest dynamic presence of God resting on his life. And that produced seven distinct qualities in his life each of which were foreshadowed in the seven branches of the golden candlestick lampstand that God had Moses make for the tabernacle that housed God's presence during the after Egypt wilderness years. You wanna pop that up there? Pop the picture up there. Well, all the furniture pieces inside the tabernacle were overlaid with gold. This candlestick also referred to as a menorah. You got that crystal? There you go. This candlestick that's referred to as a menorah. There it is. Who did you see I did that? There we go. There we go. Actually, Crystal did that. I just pointed. So, uh, This candlestick uh, was constructed of one piece of solid, the original, and one piece of solid, refined, purified gold, handcrafted by the blows of a hammer. And in its construction, in that beaten gold, it symbolized and pointed to a suffering Savior that would come all the way back in the tabernacle. Of course, by the time the Messiah came, they, they were looking for a conquering king, not a suffering Savior. 
But God had said from the beginning and pointed out to them and hinted to them who he'd be and how he'd be. The central stem of the menorah represents the spirit of the Lord and it's flanked by three pairs of arms that represent distinct aspects of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived and ministered as a fully human man filled with the spirit of God. And his ministry flowed not from his own divine resources, but from his reliance upon the spirit of the Lord resting on him. That same Holy Spirit is now in us. And so we also have access to all these distinct aspects of the Holy Spirit as we live our lives from a place of ongoing relationship, relational reliance on the Holy Spirit. Although there were seven lamps making the light, the menorah was spoken of as one lamp or one light giving forth one witness. These lamps provided the only light in the holy place and they were to be kept burning continually. That speaks to Jesus' present ministry. He ever lives, our advocate at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. It also pointed towards a declaration Jesus made that remains true forever. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And consistent with the prophetic word, a branch will bear fruit. Jesus has now called those of us who follow him to manifest his light of life in and through our lives. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus announced, you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. In the same way, let your light shine so that people may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God who said, let light shine in the darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. One more point about the menorah. It was crafted to resemble an almond tree. That one doesn't look so much like an almond tree, but the original one was crafted to resemble an almond tree and each branch was topped with a flower-shaped cup that held a measure of olive oil and a cloth wick. So this candlestick used oil lamps rather than candles. In his book, The Tabernacle of Moses, Kevin Connor explained why. Candles burn by self-consumption, while these lamps burned by the continual supply of oil being poured into them. Listen, trying to keep our light shining without regular infusions of the Holy Spirit leads to one place, burnout. Self-conception, self-consumption and burnout. To keep our light shining as Jesus intended, we need to be continually refilled with oil. And in the, in the scriptures, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We need to continue having encounters and experiences with the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that happens is when we worship. One of the ways that happens when we pray. One of the ways that happens is when we just spend time thinking about God or we spend time in his word. So many different, one of the ways that happens is we say, Holy Spirit, fill me. It can be that simple, come and fill me. But regularly asking for that is crucial because if we're just trying to let our light shine, even if our life is filled with good and beautiful deeds, if we're doing it in our own strength, like a candle, soon enough, we'll be burned out and done. 
But if we let our light shine by walking in step, the Holy Spirit filling us, welcoming that over and over and over again, then we can keep our light shining. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. This is skillful wisdom in mind, word, and action. This type of wisdom is only acquired by living in obedience to God and his ways. After Jesus had turned 12, Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew and kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So it's no wonder that at 30, when the Father released him into public ministry, Jesus consistently moved in a wisdom in mind and action and word that astounded the people of his day. According to 1 Corinthians 1.30, Jesus has now become wisdom for us, the wisdom of God for us. And as is his way, he doesn't want to keep this wisdom to himself. Instead, he yearns to share his wisdom with all of us. In fact, Jesus himself promised that one of the ways the Holy Spirit would bring glory to him would be by taking from what was his and making it known to people like us. Moses cried out for this kind of wisdom. He said, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And that affirms that true wisdom is birthed out of our hearts rather than out of speculative or abstract reasoning of our intellect. Psalm 51, 6, David wrote, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the hidden part of my heart. And David taught this to his young son, Solomon. He taught him, do not forsake wisdom and wisdom will protect you. Love wisdom and wisdom will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. And Solomon took that to heart and he authored the book of Proverbs for those desiring to attain wisdom and discipline. We're about ready to start into a new year. Let me throw out a challenge to you. Uh, Solomon was known to be the wisest man to ever walk the planet. Just so happens that there are uh, 31 Psalms, 30 Psalms. Proverbs, 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 sorry. Thank you, thank you. Proverbs 31, right? So there's 31, yeah. So there's one for every day. One for every day. And you can just read through it each day. And it's amazing just sowing into yourself thoughts and ideas and different things that that, uh, come that way. I want to say... Something in the back. Let me just look and see here in my Bible. What does it say here? Yep, Proverbs 31. I'll tell you what happens sometimes is when you, oh no, I'm thinking about the Psalms. The other thing I used to do is read a Psalm of the day. You'd match the Psalm of the day, so one plus 30 and all of that. That's where I was getting confused because when you get to Psalm 119, ooh, that's a long one. That takes a long time. So on that one, you got to break it up a little bit and read it different. But Proverbs 31, Proverbs, one for each day. Uh, just try it in January. Just read the Proverb of the day for January and, and get some of that wisdom inside of you, and then just watch and see if it doesn't capture you up and take you in a different place. Okay, that one in my notes, you could obviously tell, definitely vamping, rambling there, but we made it, we made it. Okay, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, and digging into this kind of understanding, I found that this kind of understanding is characterized by empathy and intuition, which explains so many of the personalized choices and responses Jesus made during his earthly ministry. Jesus met people where they were and as they were. Jesus met people where they were and as they were, and he still does today. Another fascinating meaning of this understanding is the idea of having a sharp sense of smell. 
One commentator uh, wrote that Jesus had a sharpness in his understanding because he could sniff out a hypocrite. I think that, shame, that same sharp sense of smell also helped him recognize true sincerity then and now. This understanding was also said to reside in the heart. This word for understanding was used about the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. It was used about Daniel, related to his unique abilities of understanding literature and learning and visions and dreams. This kind of understanding is still available to us today. In Proverbs 2.2, it says, apply, stretch out, spread out, extend your heart to understanding. And I believe this type of understanding is at its core, a relational word that leads to making choice after choice, to live in step with, live led by, and joyfully submitted to the Holy Spirit. The spirit of counsel and of power. This type of counsel plays out as prudent guidance and advice. It comes from the root word that describes the process of advise, deliberate, and resolve that I talked about last weekend as part of the he will be called wonderful counselor point. Uh, Psalm 33 says, the counsel of the Lord stands firm forever. The purposes of his heart for all generations. And in this beautiful verse, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen. However, Psalm 106 offers us a word of warning from Israel's history that we would be wise to heed today. They believed his promises and they sang his praise, but they soon forgot what he had done and they did not wait on his counsel. Psalm 73 gives us a much better paradigm to live from. I am with you always. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll take me into glory. That's the way to live right there. With God always, held by his right hand, guided by his counsel. And when this life finish with him in glory. Spirit of counsel and of power. Mighty God, the mighty almighty is another one of those he will be called names of God. And this Hebrew word of power means force, valor, and victory. One commentator wrote, and I love this, Jesus has the power to do what he desires to do. Many would help us if they could, but they're powerless. Others have the power to help us, but they don't care about us. Jesus has both the love and the power to help us. Thank you, Lord. Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is an experiential, active knowledge that comes from the root to know for certain by seeing. And in another one of those God doesn't miss a thing details, the center Hebrew letter of the word knowledge is the same letter that means the eye. Again, right in the middle of knowledge is the word for the eye. You know, more than once it says the righteous live by faith in the Bible, but throughout scripture, seeing and knowing are much more closely connected than we think. And seeing knowledge is often paired with the fear of the Lord. This kind of the fear of the Lord isn't about being afraid. It's about living with God in a relationship that's filled with awe and trust and obedience and worship. Now, looking at each of these qualities, anyone who just had a few of these seven qualities would be a dynamic personality. And because Jesus had all of them, 
it's no wonder that he was the most magnetic person who's ever walked on the planet. And yet Philippians 2 tells us something extraordinary about Jesus. It says that although he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a bondservant and being found in human likeness. How did Jesus walk that out so perfectly? How did he being tested, tempted, and tried in every way, just as we are, yet he remained without sin. Here's the answer, the first part of verse three in Isaiah 11. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. There was no grudging submission to the Father in Jesus. He delighted in walking in and walking out a daily reverence with God. Jesus understood and put into practice the words David wrote in Psalm 34 and that Peter later quoted and used in his first letter about how to practically live out the fear of the Lord. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from lies and deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And because a branch will bear fruit, these very same words invite and woo each of us to emulate Jesus' example in our lives and our choices. Jesus' understanding, grasp of, and delight in the fear of the Lord affected every aspect of his life when he was here. And it continues to shape and define his actions today. Look at the second half of verse three. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. These verses add some more applications and indications of how someone who reverences God should act. First, they aren't influenced by outward appearances. Two, they live their lives in proper alignment with God and his ways. Three, they treat every person with dignity and respect. Four, they know that the words they speak have power, so they use their words wisely in agreement with God and his purposes and plan. And five, they wrap themselves in and are known for impartiality and faithful fidelity. We're all people who have the opportunity to live like that. In order for us to do that, we need to keep purposely and intentionally remembering who God is. He's not some far off distant God that's distracted. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us every moment of every day. We need to keep calling upon and pressing into more and more experiential knowledge with God as revealed to us by his many names. And then we'll be positioned to live with the spirit of the Lord resting on us. And when that's happening, we can anticipate moving in the ways of spirit-led wisdom and understanding and counsel and power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And all those things can be normal parts of our everyday lives. So let's keep asking for more of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep praying and welcoming the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know God better. Let's keep asking God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we can 
know him better and know the hope that he's called us to and so that we can walk on earth as it is in heaven in the riches of his glorious inheritance. A branch will bear fruit. It's a beautiful prophetic expression and reminder of God's desire for each of our lives to manifest the things Jesus lived and modeled for us. And all of that becomes more instinctive as we make the daily choices to live rooted and established in love. Only as we live grounded in God's love can our lives bring him the honor and the glory that he deserves. And to that end, in Ephesians 4, there's an apostolic prayer the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that will remain open and active until Jesus returns. I want us to stand together and I'm gonna read this prayer over us. And then after I read it over us, I wanna, I'm gonna repeat it back to you phrase at a time and we'll read it together. May we have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to absolutely know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and evermore. All right, now let me say a phrase and you repeat it after me. May we have power, power. together with all the saints, saints. to to grasp how wide and long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to absolutely know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power power, that is at work within us, us. to him be the glory glory. in the church church. and in Christ Jesus Jesus. throughout all generations, generations. forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for the promises of your word. And we thank you for the things that when we read them, we just jump, it just jumps right out so we know exactly what that means. But we also thank you for riches and wisdom and treasure hidden in your word. That as we search it out with our heart, that layer by layer you uncover. We thank you, Lord, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you love to pour onto our lives. Let us be good receivers of it. Let us be people who uh, rejoice in and celebrate and recognize the Spirit of the Lord is resting on me. Let us live in that space. Forgive us, Lord, for times we step out of that or times we just try to do it on our own. We need you. We need your spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that your desire, your desires for your wisdom, your understanding, your counsel, your power, your knowledge, and the fear of the Lord to just be who we are and how we flow and how we move every day. Lord, we thank you for the promises in your word that have been fulfilled and are still being fulfilled and that are yet to be fulfilled. Lord, let us live as a people of faith, trusting you, walking with you, honoring you, and help us live as people who recognize we need the Holy Spirit. We need fresh, fresh doses and fillings 
of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for the many creative ways you accomplish that in our lives. When we just ask for it or we just look to you. And sometimes even we don't ask, we just need it and you do it. Thank you, Lord. You are a good, good God. And we worship you and we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.